Assalamu alaikum. Hello, I'm Khalil Alika. And I'm Zahir Parker. And welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. So AccidentalMuslims.com is a, a movement, a platform where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. And we believe that everybody has a story to tell. This podcast hopes to add value. So welcome and enjoy. I'm MJ Khan and you're listening to AccidentalMuslims.com. Interesting story. So with lecturing and stuff, you know, you've always got a couple of hundred students and it was, I think it was difficult for them to remember Muhammad Junaid. So I said, and I think this was 2004, 2005, it just stuck. And since then, I mean, that's how I go. In fact, it's even like on my business card and stuff, like you'll never find my name anywhere. (laughs) Assalamu alaikum, NJ, welcome. Wa alaikum assalam, thanks for having me on the show. So we're in Joburg, so today there's no Zahir, so he's in Cape Town. I wish I could bring the rain from Joburg to Cape Town because we we like really suffering without without rain. Uh, the rains, yeah, it, it wreaks havoc in terms of traffic patterns. I think sometimes people um, tend to lose their minds a bit with some rain. But I mean, sugar, you know, we needed the rain. So quite grateful for that. I also need to do some washing, but I mean, those are our first world problems, you know, <laughs> to dry my clothes versus <laughs> rain. Yeah. So who is MJ Khan? Who is MJ Khan? Um, that, that's that's an interesting and loaded question, I think, because a lot of people would define themselves by perhaps what they do for a living versus me, where I define myself perhaps as someone who's curious, someone who wants to be reflective, and someone who just wants to learn a bit about everything, you know, and just figure out what it means to be here. So so what do you do for a living? So I work for a uh, in, an international petrochemical company, Sassol. I'm the group online media manager, and I manage social media and uh, digital campaigns across the 30 countries that Sassol operates in. You not only do the, the online, but also communication within within the company. Um, a lot of the digital communication, yeah, because I think we're shifting away from looking at channels per se and managing a channel and looking more at the content first. So the channel becomes agnostic. So what is the message that you're trying to perhaps share or transmit? And then the channel's almost secondary, you know, what, what is the best vehicle or medium for that message? So I think that's been the shift. And the good thing about that is you break away from silos. So I don't just primarily look at something when it's a social media campaign. I would look at a campaign and then look at how social media will either supplement, enhance, or how it will play out on those platforms that we manage. Okay. So I just want to go back. So were you born in Johannesburg? No, actually born and raised in Durban. I lived there for most of my life. But I moved to Johannesburg in December 2010. 2010, what made you make that move from Durban to Johannesburg? Oh, that's an easy one. Um, So my wife um, is originally from Pretoria, and she's involved heavily in the mining industry. Versus me at the time within communications, where I found it was quite easy for me to just, you know, pack up shop and move house. Uh, versus her, where there's not there's not no mines down in Durban where she can actually you know apply her trade and do her work and stuff. So it was a no brainer. I moved up um, so that you know she could maintain her career and I could just shift my career to the side. Brilliant. So what is your first job in Johannesburg? 
first job in Johannesburg, I was a digital consultant uh, for an ad agency. I worked on rolling out uh, a campaign for a large bank. I studied communication science, uh, and it was quite interesting at the time because I stu- I got into university before 9-11. Before 9-11, you, you never got a lot of uh, Muslim kids who wanted to study journalism, media studies, communication science. Uh, I think a lot, a lot of us would perhaps have it skewed towards either a commerce background, engineering, you know, um, a medical degree, those sorts of fields. You know, media studies is just wasn't ripe with Muslims. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I liked it is because I always enjoyed uh, wordplay. I always enjoyed uh, writing. I loved writing. I loved uh, specifically creative writing. And I enjoyed uh, doing mock ads growing up. So I thought, let me get into communication science and let me see if I can get a job in advertising. So um, I did that in my undergrad in communication science. Uh, for my postgrad, I started looking more at strategic corporate communication, journalism. So I did double majors in that. Uh, for my master's coursework, I then moved into uh, digitalization and convergence. That was the big buzzword back in the day, you know, and this is perhaps you know, 12 years ago. And no one really knew what it looked like. I mean, Facebook was fledgling. Twitter didn't even exist at the time. Social media was on the cusp of becoming something. And I was really interested in analog versus digital. So I spent a lot of my time focusing on that. And yeah, after that, I think I just started doing a lot of uh, postgrad stuff in digital and in, in advertising and comms. Do you have any advice for prospective students wanting to go in a similar career, um, journalism, media studies? Yeah, definitely. I think the, the best advice I could give any uh, prospective media studies student uh, that wants to become a journalist or wants to get into advertising is to find um, any sort of community media out there. Volunteer at first, but, but that's where I cut my teeth. In fact, I wrote my first radio ad in December 2001, and this was for Radio Alansar, a community radio station down in Durban. And I really embedded myself there. I got involved in the newspaper publication, al uh, I wrote a lot of the ads um, that, you know, uh, were broadcast. I got involved in the background of the radio station in terms of presenting. And sure, it wasn't a paying gig, you know. I mean, I was awarded with duas and a certificate, <laughs> uh, which is great. Uh, but it was that opportunity to to really try something, you know, add value to the community, give back somehow, and at the same time, get a sense of, is this really what I want to do in my life? Does this make me happy? So my advice would be try and find a community media outlet out there. And it's so much easier these days because a lot of them are online. So you don't necessarily need to travel long distances if you don't have one that's quite close to you. Mm-hmm. But but find these spaces and look at how you can actually benefit them versus you know them just uh, perhaps having a new role there for you where you're not too sure what you're doing. So go in there and actually make a difference. Don't be cocky about it. Don't just go there and think you're going to change the world. You know, take some time, understand how it works. And then from there, look for those opportunities. Okay, brilliant. So you mentioned happy and also want to mention passion. Do you think those students out there should follow their passion? Do you you believe in following your passion and finding the perfect job type of thing? Uh, p- passion is a, it's a difficult thing, uh, especially when it comes to the workplace. And uh, a, a lot of people know this in postgrad studies where you're told, you know, you should you should write about what you're passionate about. 
The problem with that, though, is uh, you end up resenting what you're passionate about. It's like, um, so I, I review movies for a website called GeekNode. And often I'll be very upfront with the editor and say, I'm really looking forward to those movies. I'm not going to review it so that I don't have to have a critical gaze. I can just, you know, eat popcorn and watch Captain America be beat up Iron Man. And I think that's the challenge with passion. So, so yeah, you know, you, you need to have a level of passion and you need to enjoy what you're doing because you don't want to be miserable because, I mean, this is going to be your life. But at the same time, I don't think it should be the only thing. I think you can have uh, a life where your passion project becomes something on the side, where it becomes something that grounds you almost, as opposed to it being centered completely around your work. Because I think if if you have passion for your work, it also becomes a problem, becomes a bit of a stumbling block sometimes because it then limits your ability to be critical, to 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 engage, to, to allow others in. Because if you're passionate about something, you're protective of it. So I would be wary of just going for something out of pure passion. It needs to be a little more than that, I think. That's interesting because if you had to follow your passion, you'd be a movie reviewer and gaming gaming geek <laughs> or game reviewer. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think, and this is perhaps um, something very embarrassing, but uh, my wife always tells me not to tell people this, but I say it anyway. For me, my dream job, and, and this is dead serious, is to be a, a writer for the World Wrestling Entertainment, for WWE. So we know, we, we know that everything's predetermined there, but I'm very fascinated with the storytelling, with how... Uh, you know, it's determined that this person's going to be cheered and this person's going to be booed and, and here's how the story gets together. So if I were to follow my passion, I would be applying for a job of a story writer for professional uh, wrestling. Very funny. So let's talk about social media. Do you think that every company should be on social media, i.e. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, all the platforms? What's your view on that? No, I don't think um, every every company should just be on social media because it's there. I think that um, if, if you look at perhaps the evolution of social media, and I'm quite lucky, I've been in the industry for almost a decade, so I've sort of seen how it's evolved. Um, I mean, in the early days, none of us knew what we were doing. We were just trying to put something together, you know, and, and figure out how do we actually commercialize social media because social media by default did not start off as being this commercial entity you know it started off as being social and brands have sort of come on board and have almost disrupted that social aspect of it in terms of commercializing it in terms of whether brands should be on social or not i think it was in 2011 that a writer named eric wallman he said this famous saying he said the roi of social is that in five years time your brand won't be around (laughs) <laughs> if you're not in social. And and that goes a lot with that fear-mongering at the time where it was like, okay, we need to be on social. But if you look at a lot of traditional industries, a lot of traditional brands, unless they actually figure out the reason why they're on social, unless social, unless there's value for them on social, so their customers are already on social, their consumers are there, their stakeholders are there, and they can actually add value and use it as a channel for either something like customer care, something like brand building, something for thought leadership then you don't need to be there. I don't think the presence of a channel necessitates a brand's involvement in that channel because you're also going to dilute that brand because each channel has its own nuance. It has its own uh, unique selling proposition. And often a brand will lose what it stands for. It'll lose 
what what it means just because it's trying so hard to fit into a space where it might not belong. Yeah. But is is social media making us antisocial? Because <laughs> <laughs> I can see, I see it, you know, day to day. My family, you know, my cousins, my nieces, uh, you know, even myself. Uh, I see it in the working world as well, where people are just looking at their phones the whole time, so glued. You know that that level of connectivity. Um, uh, you know, it's talking face to face with someone is suddenly disappearing. So, what's your view on that? I'm not sure, and it's a popular view to yeah. think that uh, social media makes people antisocial. But I like to turn that on its head and say that what's happening is perhaps while we are, are moving away from a more traditional interpersonal communication that's face to face. That conversation is now taking place online, so it's almost a shift if you think about it. Whereas previously, that engagement would happen where you are available to that person. Why? Because you occupy a physical space, and there's a proximity aspect to it. Versus now, when someone's on their phone and they're being social, there's still that relationship building. There's still that connection. It's just happening in a different phase because it's happening mm-hmm. virtually. Mm-hmm. And again, it could be problematic because. We have traditional notions of what respect is and what engagement is, and and to have undivided attention, and we're fighting constantly with that because we've got this this tempting device that just opens up our world to so many things. I mean, we live in this fragmented time, and here's a device that can actually cater for those needs. So for someone like me who wants to become, who had dreams of being a writer for the WWE, I can tap into that on social because now all of a sudden I am part of this like-minded community that has common interests. Mm-hmm. And I I might not have had that in just the real world. To call it the real world, I, I don't like to call it the real world. I call it the offline world. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting observation that, yes, we we are perhaps getting a little worse in terms of your traditional interpersonal relationships, uh, conversation, but it's it's not all doom and gloom. I do think mm-hmm. the upside of that is that we are now gravitating towards like-minded communities that that share similar interests. Obviously, the challenge with that and what we are really experiencing in the world today are these online filter bubbles, these echo bubbles, where if we believe in a certain viewpoint, it's very easy to find others that believe in that viewpoint and it's very easy to then uh, be excluded from plurality or conversations that don't have that perspective. Okay. So we get a, a lot of confirmation bias online and it's becoming very problematic. Mm. I saw your, your post on Facebook today about fake news. <laughs> I see it a lot. I see a lot of fake news. In fact, I sometimes I'm guilty of sharing fake news. So what's your advice to the to the listeners out there with regards to you know sharing news that could be like very eccentric or amazing news, but it's really not real. I think a lot about, uh, you know, Islamic maxims and, and just the, the advice that Prophet Muhammad said about, you know, sharing news and 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 what, what do you share, what don't you share. And I honestly think our social media profiles, our WhatsApp accounts, they are a trust, they are an amanat, and we have a responsibility to ensure that whatever we share is verified. Because, um, you know, it's important that, that we are, are not culprits of disseminating misinformation and disinformation. And it's also unfortunate that we live in a time of fake news where news that, uh, you know, fake news, it's so easy for it to spread. I mean, we as, as people, mm. we have become publishers 
and we are now by by posting something online by commenting on something online that's how you give it life yeah. and that's how it spreads so i really think that we need to go and check everything and this was traditionally the role of the media in terms of fact checking verifying what's out there and what's happening in terms of the systematic breakdown and the um perhaps this muscle of the media you know so branding the media as as fake news it it then creates a problem because then you discredit the media you discredit your traditional structures of truth finding and you now rely on individuals who who don't necessarily care first about the veracity or the truthfulness of an article it's more about let me share something cool i found mm-hmm. and, and that becomes problematic because over time you start believing that fake news and and it just feeds into that confirmation bias i think it's a it's a real problem i think that often uh when i get broadcast whatsapp messages with these little disclaimers you know um forwarded as received yeah. uh, I, I find that problematic because that is not a disclaimer that it does not protect you from going and actually finding out whether it's truthful or not yeah. you mentioned Professor Wilson um, do you have any Quranic verse or story do you have any favorite Quranic verse or story that you want to share with us I think the thing about a favorite Quranic verse is that and then the beauty of it is that you read the right verse at the right moment for you because that's when something resonates mm. in fact um there's a swiss philosopher that i enjoy reading his name is alain de baton and he he famously said and i think this is perhaps one of my favorite quotes and mm. i'll get to the quran quote sure, in a bit sure. but he said most of what makes a book good is that you're reading it at the right moment for you i think about that a lot so you replace book with movie with scripture I, whatever it is, whatever piece of content you're consuming, most of what makes it good, most of what makes it resonate is that you're reading it at the right moment for you. So I was quite lucky to have my folks over last week. Uh, my, my sister came down to, to visit us. She, she lives abroad with her family. And I was reflecting on, on my parents' mortality. And, uh, you know, they're at that age in their life now where they're quite old and everything is it seems very real now that you know i don't know if next eid i'll see them and i know it's it sounds like a very morbid topic to talk about but it's something that i'm now thinking about and i think as a young adult i used to perhaps dismiss it and say yeah sure you know when you know when you pass away this is what we'll do and so we'll bury you in in a, in a very flippant way versus now where i'm thinking you know this is going to happen and it's going to happen soon because you know every soul shall return yeah. and then yeah. there's no escaping death so the quranic ayat that stands out for me at the moment and and, and something that um really resonates with me um with your permission i'll just read it out really quickly and i'll do the english yeah. uh, and your lord has decreed that you not worship except him and to parents good treatment Whether one or both of them reach old age while with you, say not to them so much as oof, and do not repel them, but speak to them a noble word. And this was Revelation, you know, 1400 years ago. And it's about being respectful to parents. And the older I get, the more I strive and the more I try to be respectful of parents. Not that my parents are more difficult now, but I want to be more... I want to make more of a concerted effort that I am good to them, that every single time I interact with them, 
that it it brings joy to them, you know, that I am that coolness of their eyes that we talk about and we don't really reflect on. So so that verse resonated with me recently. And I think it's something that I perhaps want to just remind people, you know, um, sure, there'll be tension sometimes and sure, there'll be disagreements and and there'll be perhaps notions of unfairness when it comes to parents-child uh, relationships, which is natural, it happens. Mm-hmm. But just just to always think about that, you know, that this is the Quranic command and, and the, um, you know, the injunction and it's there and it tells you, you know, even if they say, oh, something as simple as that, just a little exclamation, you know, don't let that bother you, you know, they are your parents. I love that. In spite of whatever happens, they're your parents. And, and that resonates with me. So I stalked you on, on Instagram and I see that you play a lot of games with your nephews and nieces. <laughs> So let's talk about the gaming. I mean, is it PS4 or Nintendo? Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge gamer. I in fact I identify myself as a gamer, and it's an interesting thing to you know to talk about what it means or what it means to self-identify as a gamer because the traditional notion of a gamer is you know someone who sits in their parents' basement somewhere has very poor antisocial skills and and just sort of plays games the entire day without getting any sunlight almost like a vampire Mm -hmm. you know but that's completely misguided if you think about gaming everybody games whether you're a casual gamer who enjoys candy crush on your phone or if you spend hours a day you know playing um, a massively multiplayer online game whatever it is gaming has it has become very mainstream i mean it's it's the largest entertainment industry in the world undoubtedly and I I really love gaming. In fact, a, a large part of my my masters was on gaming, was on the political economy of gaming, and uh, looking at how politics and economics uh, affect representation in games. So, big gamer. I've been gaming for easily about twenty eight years now. Yeah, uh, you know, started off with Super Mario Brothers, and I just. We went on from there. I was quite lucky in that my wife is also a gamer. So, you know, it's it's, it's a lot of fun that uh, we have this shared hobby. We, we can chat about it. Uh, we can enjoy it together. And at the same time, uh, we've got different console setups. So while I'm playing something in one of the rooms, she's playing in one mm-hmm. of the other rooms. And we just get to enjoy this hobby together. I think, uh, yeah, that's, that's for me, I really enjoy that. That's perfect because I was going to ask you. How do you balance your wife and gaming? But you just you just answer the question. Awesome. So you've worked for Alansar, you worked for Quirk, and you know there's Vitz, there's AAA advertising, there's Ogilvy and Cecil. So, what is your definition of success? <laughs> Simply, to be happy, and to be happy with oneself. And I make that distinction because you could be happy because of material gain or because you had a good burger or whatever it is. But, but you know, just to, to, to be happy, I think, is, is to be successful. And to be happy with oneself is to be happy with what you're doing, to say that I'm doing something that's meaningful. And it doesn't necessarily have to be this altruistic, I'm going to go and, you know, make sure everyone in the world has a meal, which is great, but it doesn't have to be that scale. I think sometimes we equate it with that, you know, to be happy 
is to to give away all your wealth and to be a pauper or to make sure that you know you can go out there and, and cure a disease and stuff but happiness could also be the little things you do in life to make sure that you are making a difference in whatever you're doing and you're thinking about what you're doing and you enjoy what you're doing to describe yourself in three words i think you mentioned curiosity reflective i would say doubtful 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 i think yeah if i were to describe myself um i would use the word doubtful the reason being i i like doubt i i like doubt because i'm very wary of anything that's too sure i'm wary of someone who has full conviction of something because it doesn't allow you to consider someone else's position it doesn't allow you to consider an alternate perspective and at the same time if if you're too sure of something yeah it 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 also affects the the, the potential to to grow and i i think doubt is important in fact there's a fantastic ted talk by Leslie Hazelton called the doubt essential to faith and i like that i like that i'm not too sure of something because it means i can always learn and i can always empathize thanks it's a good view what are you most grateful for today i'm very grateful for family very very grateful for family my family have always supported me uh no matter what i've done in fact my mom has always pushed me to do things i know in I think it was my first year. I got I got an award at university and I didn't want to go for it. I was like, no, no, you know, you want to be cool, right? So you're like, no, it's no big deal, it's whatever. And my mom was like, no, go for it. You know, it was it's we're proud of you. Go and do it. And it always stands out that you know, she she always pushed me and it's always little things like if I start a new job, you know, my mom's uh, my mom would call me and be like, you know, right foot first, you know, say bismillah. And I I think about that. I think about that. I think about how my dad doesn't really know what i do but he's so proud of me regardless you know it's amazing how often do you go to was got to durban not too often not okay. too often i guess um my my work schedule is a bit hectic so uh, i'm often traveling but i try to go down perhaps twice or thrice a year i i do like the fact that i've got my independence and that my wife and I we we're sort of building this life here and we're sort of doing it on our own. I I know it seems odd that because you know I was talking about support a few minutes ago, but I like that, but I also like checking in. Yeah. So so just going down, spending time. Uh I I miss my nieces and nephews and a few of them mind Durban, uh not all of them um sadly. So I I love going down, spending time with them. I think that's the one thing I miss a lot. is I don't see them sort of growing up you know yeah. and I think a few years ago I sort of realized that um a lot of them just aren't babies anymore mm-hmm. you know in fact my eldest nephew he's um he finished his degree like 2 years ago he's working now wow. and yeah he's he's not a child I mean in my eyes he's a child mm-hmm. but uh he's an adult mm-hmm. and like that there so my nieces are, are teenagers now and I've sort of because I have limited interaction with them because I only see them a few times a year. They go go through not only physical growth spurts but but emotional and mental growth spurts and I'm trying to catch up now and, and trying to adjust. <laughs> so I think that's yeah. a very interesting dynamic. Please, yeah. Do you have any family joke? 
In terms of immediate family, siblings, no. So you spend most of your time, obviously, with your wife and friends. Um, that's an odd one. I think, and I get a lot of flack for that, rightfully mm-hmm. slow. So is that um, I, I don't tend to have a lot of free time. So um, I guess it's just the nature of what I do. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to build something. I'm trying to uh, think about frameworks. I'm trying to... And I, re- I really love my job. So whenever I work, I don't feel like I'm actually just, oh, I'm working, yeah. you know. I enjoy what I do. And uh, I have an opportunity to really shape and mold something and see if it works and keep tweaking it. So I spend the majority of my day working uh most weekends as well, if there's something that I'm doing in a sponsorship space, you know, I'm, I'm quite busy with that. So if I have any spare time, I, I just want to spend it with my wife. And, mm-hmm. and I, gaming. Huh? And gaming. And gaming, and gaming, of course, of course. In fact, I, I love that because even though um, I have a lot of wonderful friends in Johannesburg and I do regret that I don't make the effort to spend time with them, a lot of my close friends in Durban... While I miss them, I found opportunities in which to still connect with them. So um, a few of my very close friends, in fact, we game, <laughs> we, we play video games on a Friday night online. Okay. So um, we play this ridiculous game called Rocket League where you control these cars and you play soccer, but with uh, remote control cars. It's ridiculous. And I've been playing it for maybe 200 hours. I'm useless at it. And every Friday night, uh, perhaps from about 10 o'clock till about 2 in the morning, uh, the three of us sit and play that game. Jeez. And we used to do do this when I was living in Durban where uh, we would go to each other's house and we'd play games, you know, till Fajr. And now I'm still doing that. They even though they're not in the room, I still get to connect with them, to chat to them. And I still get to keep that friendship mm. as strong as it can be yeah. without sort of having them physically here. So I think that's been really great for me. But I do really need to make a more concerted effort to, to spend time with my friends i think i've been very selfish in choosing not to my last question you mentioned mortality so let's say today is your last day you're going to die (laughs) and you only have enough energy for for a couple of words to your loved ones your family and friends what would it be Hmm. geez um that's a heavy question i'm not sure uh like whenever you know as a kid you always have these scenarios you know if if this was your last day what would you do and i always battled with it from an ethical point of view because i would be like well i wouldn't change much because if it's my last day and then i say okay cool i'm gonna sit on musalla and i'm just gonna pray the entire time i know that that is an insincere act because i'm doing it because i'm aware that the end is coming so i'm only doing it just sort of like, like, like cash in, you know, it's like when you run into a store, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's a sale. It's like five minutes left. You, you've spent so much time getting to that store. The toaster isn't special for a hundred. So you want to just take it just because it's there. So I've always battled with that from an ethical point of view. Like if it was my last day and I had like a few moments, like what would I do? And, and then I think about, uh, the hadith that speaks about, uh, you know, if it's the day of Qiyamah has come and is coming and you've got a sapling in your hand, you've got a tree in your hand, plant that tree, you know, just go on and do it. Mm-hmm. So I think from, uh, a less serious point of view, I'd ask my folks to renew my blog domain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just keep that legacy going for a bit. <laughs> but, uh, seriously, it'll just be, I hope that, um, I made you happy while I was here. I hope that 
I didn't cause you any grief, and I hope that you have nothing but good thoughts about me. Our last guest um, mentioned she's not going to say anything. She's going to. She just wants a good cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, look, MJ, I just want to thank you for your time and thanks for coming. I wish you all the best with your career and your life, and I wish um, Allah grant a long life for your parents as well. I mean, and so thanks a lot. Uh, thanks so much for giving me a, the opportunity. I must say, I was really honored when I got the email. And I was also very chuffed to meet you because we've been engaging online for a, a good time. few years, yeah. a very long yeah. time. Yeah. And just the opportunity to uh, take that online uh, relationship and friendship and to bring it offline again, okay. uh, it's just really heartwarming. So, you know, it's fantastic being in your company. Awesome. Thank you. As-salamu alaykum. Wa alaykum so that's it for today's show. We hope you added value. We hope you enjoyed it. But most of all, we hope our guests has inspired you to live with purpose. Don't forget to send us your suggestions via info at accidentalmuslims.com. If you know anybody out there that is inspiring, that's leading, that's living with purpose, please uh, do contact us. And remember, feedback is our oxygen. So follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I hope you enjoyed. God bless. Assalamu alaikum.